uh, the grace of God, and we talked about that quite a bit last week. We'll talk a little bit about that this week. Um, the grace of God, I find that uh, until I really stop to think about it, how I take it for granted. Uh, having been saved back, um, yikes, 40-some years ago, um, I find that there sometimes are wonderful things that God has done, and after a while, you just kind of start saying, well, of course, I'm saved, and uh, before you know it, we almost get to the point to where we think we deserve God's grace, which couldn't be further from the truth. Um, nice thing, Anna, about uh, tonight, uh, we just proved to everybody who's here that we still need Andrew, so... <laughs> So let him, let him know that we missed him. Now, we've got uh, a lot to cover this evening. Thank you for being here, and thank you particularly, having it be Father's Day, and I thought, wow, you know what? Now, this is a Garyism, so don't go running out of here saying this is what our church believes, but I almost think we ought to call it Dad's Day and not Father's Day because it's honoring dads, right? And we really have our Heavenly Father who the um, Bible actually has some things, but it'd be out of context if I used it here, saying that call no man, what? Father. And it just, it was one of those weird things that hit me this afternoon as I was kind of finalizing what we're going to go over here today and just remembering how wonderful it is. This is my first Father's Day without having my dad here. Now, I'm an old guy to have... Uh, you know, to have a father, having lived that long, and uh, it certainly was a wonderful blessing. But I will say there was a smidgen of missing him. And one of the great things about our Father in heaven is he's always there. And he always is giving us what we need, even when we think we should get something else, not unlike our, our fathers and those of us who happen to fit into the dad range we think we're perfect dads, but just ask our kids and our wives, and they'll straighten you out. So, but one thing we, that's really wonderful about our, our Father in Heaven, much like different than almost any religion that's out there, our Father is absolutely perfect. Um, and while he does have anger on certain things, he has perfect mercy, perfect grace, which gives us perfect peace. Now, I've asked Andy to do us a favor today. And it's going to be a little different. I'm going to ask him to read just a couple of different verses when we get to it. If you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to get through quite a few um, verses in that today. And I'm going to have him read just the portion we're going to cover. And then when we move on to the next one, you'll hear his voice again. And so in your mind, you can go, okay, we're carrying through the, the theme. Had a great discussion with uh, Roman about uh, what we talked about last week and all that really could have covered in even the first two uh, verses in 1 Timothy. There is so much there, but then he gave me this great, which I thought might help all of you to figure out where in the world is Gary coming from, would be really helpful. I know it was really helpful to me. And that's talking about you can almost take circles in this particular case of the Bible, and you can kind of circle what you're talking about, and then that circle kind of leads into the next few verses. And then you go down another couple of verses, and you could draw a circle picking up those verses 
as you go as you go into the next. And uh, Roman, you'll never know what a what a help that was. And um, it literally changed what we're going to cover today in a certain way because I had in my mind we were going to cover mostly uh, a lot on sin. And then the more I got into it, I began to realize no, that wasn't Paul's purpose at all for us to uh, go through each one of the sins. But we'll talk about what they're there for. So, Andy, my favorite reader, as I said last week, if uh, you wouldn't mind if you could do one and two, and we'll, we'll take off there. One and two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus. And I hope, if I did my job right, I hope that when that was read this week, you think a little bit differently than you did last week, because it's so loaded with so much wonderful truth here and things that, that um, we need to, to remember. And, you know, just like this morning, we had a wonderful, wonderful, um, if I can say so myself, Roman, I thought this morning the message was powerful, awesome. And it did kind of have this flow that really got me doing a lot of thinking. I'm sure it did the same to all of you. And so I'll do my best to get us kind of really uh, getting a deep dive into the start of what's happening here in First Timothy because it's a really exciting uh, book. It's a really exciting um, element for a lot of different reasons. So we'll get into it. The short introduction, the first two verses that Andy just read, establish an important foundation for this urgent letter. This was not just a friendly letter. This was, from Paul's perspective, an urgent letter getting a hold of Timothy. And you'll remember last week that we called the lesson Voice from the Past for the Good of the Future. And Paul had a real concern. He had left Timothy in uh, Ephesus and what he really told him to do was, is, hey, deal with some of the false teaching that's going on there. And Timothy really did not. And so this letter is kind of a follow-up. And while he still kept it very low-key, the way that he mentioned it, it was serious. And we see that in those first two books. Then we, had, we identified the theme of 1 Timothy to include, important for all of us, true teaching leads to practical and visible changes in the lives of those who believe. And it's very important for us to understand if what we consider our moment of conversion, if our life did not change, it's a very, very good thing to ask yourself, was I really saved? I know that's not popular. It's not, not something that people necessarily want to hear. But when you are impacted by the Holy Spirit, your life is going to see some of the fruit from, um, from all that labor. We also identified the three key players. We had Paul, Paul who was writing, of course, to Timothy. Then we had Timothy, and remember that we pointed out that Timothy was a great minister. He was a great individual. So we have to be careful when we question something he maybe should have done and didn't, doesn't take away from all the great things he did. And I think that's true of all of us as we kind of evaluate each other because we do that sometimes. And people in church and we'll kind of go, well, that person should do this or that person should do that. When in reality, we ought to really be focusing on 
all the gifts that we all bring, and we all bring different things to this wonderful body that we call our church home. So we also identified, as we did, Paul, Timothy, and these mischievous teachers that were teaching, by the way, inside the church. These weren't individuals that built a church next door, met in a house next door, or in a cave next door. These were teachers inside the church, pointing out, by the way, the importance in our case of the weight that is on Roman to point out to us if he sees false teaching going on in the church. Now, when we talk about false teaching, that doesn't mean every minute thing. We all have errors. I've always said we will have perfect theology when we get in heaven. But before then, we're all going to have some theology that we would die for. That's not accurate. But there are important things that we have to rely on our elders to make sure that we, in fact, are not starting to get into false teaching because false teaching does not necessarily come from individuals that are purposely trying to teach falsely. They just happen to be making errors. We don't know quite about the individuals here. I would have to say that I think there was a direct attack, though, on Paul and on Christianity from some of these teachers that were there. Now, Paul was adding weight with that introduction and saying, I'm about ready to speak to you, Timothy. Remember, you can envision some little letter, the way that they would get the information or the, the uh, conversation to Timothy. But one of the things that Timothy needed is he needed a little bit of clout. He needed clout to deal with these false teachers. False teachers many times are very strong. They're very charismatic. They can do a lot of different things that make it hard for the faithful one of Timothy to be able to deal with it. And so what you'll notice, what Paul crafted and what Andy just read, is a, it was a stroke of genius. Number one, he said, yeah, this is from Paul. Made it very clear to them, and Paul was well known. And secondly, who was appointed by God himself. So all of a sudden now, instead of Timothy being the battering ram and, you know, the, indiv the individual that could be attacked by these false teachers, what Paul is really saying is, is that God is questioning what's going on in your church, and I'll show you why. Now, we spent time covering three gifts that are really important. We sang about uh, one of them with the excellent uh, song selections this evening. I love it when the Lord does that pick songs that seem to fit right in on what we're talking about. And it isn't just, oh boy, we're lucky that happened. That God appointed that, appoints things like that. So grace, and if you happen to be a note taker, you might want to listen to me this week and adjust a little bit what I said last week about it. Grace, which is favor, love, and forgiveness shown to people that frees sinners from the consequences of sin. That is grace. Wow. Now, if we were using our human mind and coming up with a salvation plan, I've said it often, there is no way I'd come up with the salvation plan we have. Because I've got this horrible outlook on there are consequences of what you do, so you ought to be punished for them. I also have an excellent mind where I said, except for me. 
you know, I, I don't want that kind of, of um, relationship with God. But grace is something that keeps us from the consequences of sin, which that right there should really throw a little fear into us and happiness, right, at the same time. And then mercy, because remember what was said, and this mercy part is not in almost any other place in the Bible in this order, except for here, and I believe Titus is the other book where mercy is used. And that is because uh, Timothy was going to need mercy. He was going into the fire to deal with these. So mercy would save us from the misery that accompanies sin. Any leader we have at this church, even deacons that we have in church, and even each other, we should be praying for the fact that we all receive mercy, the mercy of God. And then there's peace, which is the result of grace and mercy bringing us in harmony with God. That's what peace does. Brings us in harmony with God. And by the way, I can add, and with mankind, with that too, in general. Certainly with a group of believers. But peace is real. And peace is something that we should wish often on each other. So we can use grace that we want everybody to experience that. We want everyone to experience mercy. And we want to be able to experience peace. And in a matter of two little verses, Paul's covering all this. And he's setting the stage. By the way, he is setting the stage for a sledgehammer. Now, he does it softly, but firmly. And it's a great lesson for us. So we're going to move into the session that we'll call. You can tell I made this up. This is what we should label right in our Bible. Tim, stop the nonsense, wake up and be a man. That's what's really coming. That is what's, in other words, be a leader, Timothy. Be a true leader. Don't worry about how to win friends and influence people. You want to please God. And there are things here that are happening in this part of Scripture that God's not happy about. Therefore, Paul was not happy about it. And I don't think Timothy was happy about it. Timothy is a great man of God. So next we're going to ask Andy, because we're going to switch into a little bit different area. But remember those circles. I call them the Roman circles forever now. The Roman circles. We have verse 2. We're going to bring down 1 and 2 and bring them to verse 3 and 5 and watch what happens to what, what goes on, because it's a, amazing. Uh, please, Andy. Verse five. Uh, 3 through 5. Now, it did not take Paul very long to jump at the purpose of why he was writing this letter. There are many things we're going to cover, but whammo, here he's hitting. And if you're doing kind of outlines, if you like to do outlines, what's being said here is this. Charge false teachers to not teach inaccurate doctrine. 
There's a lot of responsibility on teaching. The responsibility was being abused. It was not being addressed. And Paul already, if you think about this letter, it's got a nice little opening, and then, boom. We need to deal with these teachers. We're seeing yet another example of Paul showing one of his consistent Christian lifelong hot buttons concerning the church's responsibility of caring for believers in the faith with truth and and responsibility. Paul could be really direct and tough. What's interesting is, by the grace of God, he tries to, those that he works with, he tries to show them mercy. He tries to show them grace, not at the expense, though, of truth and at the expense of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds Timothy and others in the church that as our primary duty is to be watchful and cultivating, get this, cultivating a safe, trusting practice of solid teaching. You shouldn't have to guess when you walk through the door, are you going to get solid teaching, for instance, here? Now, we do have a tendency of wanting to measure one teacher to another. That's not what we're to be looking for. What we're to be looking for is truth, a better understanding, so that we can glorify God in our lives. And the worst of worst, if you say, Gary's the worst teacher I've ever seen, if you've learned a couple things to be able to serve our Lord better, serve each other in the church better, praise God for that. Uh, Other times, I think we have a tendency of blowing up some teachers, as I've said in the past, and making them kind of the subject. Very, very dangerous of doing that. And the reason why we'll actually kind of see that here in a little bit. Now, the church is to model and be an example, encouraging believers to remain steadfast in the faith, which is hard to do when there is poor teaching taking place. If you have poor teaching, it's going to be hard to see proper lifestyles in our church. As a matter of fact, next to a miracle, it's almost impossible. In a real sense, that is each of our responsibilities here at Rancho Baptist Church to be joyful and voluntarily servants of the Lord, consistently encouraging each other in truth. When we come to worship in the morning or in the evening, do we make sure we at least encourage one or two individuals in our body? That's our job. It's our job to do that. Encourage those that are struggling. Encourage those that might need just a listening ear. Encourage those that maybe accomplish something which, by the way, may not mean much to you, but means much to that person. I remember once being at church and um, this lady came up to me, not this church. This lady came up to me and she said, I had a chance to share the gospel. And she says, I've been so afraid. This is a, a woman who was up in age. She didn't ever really share the gospel. And at first, the first thing that went into my mind was, well, we should always be doing that. And then as I watched her as she was talking, because she, she couldn't wait to tell me, I thought, this is awesome. Here is a woman who, to her, was making a big step in her walk, and I needed to be an encouragement for her. 
I needed to remember the next week to ask her. So how's it been since last week? What's going on? And we should not leave this building at any time without encouraging somebody in this body. Because what happens is, is we have visitors come, we have other people come, and they kind of go, whoa, that was kind of a cold church. Everybody kind of came in, listened, said amen, sang a couple of wonderful songs, and went out and left without saying a word to anybody. So as we see this, Paul is also providing the warning not to be snug in our faith, but remain on guard to protect the truth. We should be soldiers when we hear truth not being projected correctly. Now, this doesn't mean you point out every little thing. But in this case, this is major. This is truth that was uh, actually stripping the gospel. Why is he so intensely focused on proper teaching? Why was Paul, Paul into that? Likely because of these two things. Paul knew how sneaky and devious the devil is in attempting to cause confusion in the church as seen early on in history. I mean, think about it. This is early church having problems. Well, welcome to the world when you have more than one person. You have people problems, right? And so what we have to realize, Genesis 3, 3, uh, 3 and Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And, of course, Paul knew this because he called himself the chief of sinners. And he knew that there's some crafty stuff going on in that church that is not proper teaching, and I'm going to address it. Number two, Paul knew the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Which we know is from Jeremiah 17.9. So, Paul knows the heart of man can be a liability apart from truth when it comes to sustaining purity and overcoming successfully in spiritual warfare activities. Paul knew the custom of apostle letters being read in the church because that was kind of a thing. I mean, um, not unlike if um, Roman and Nancy, like if they're gone, let's say they go to Canada for a while, not that this would ever happen. But if somebody hears from them, we pass that around. Yeah, they're doing good, and here's what's happening. And that's what, the, that's what the church would do in the early age. A letter would come, and they would read it. And Paul knew this letter to Timothy was going to be read. Therefore, Paul wrote with specific purpose to inform those false teachers through that letter, not to speak and instruct those hearers, and also for the hearers, not to entertain listening to those false teachers. We need to keep in mind that wicked spirits, false apostles and false teachers, look for something new and different so it's perceived that they have a better doctrine to entice the weaker minds. When false teaching starts going on in church or in the world, they're looking for weaker minds. People that love Jesus, but they really don't understand the gospel. And wow, that guy's using the word God, and he's using the word spirit, he's using the word forgiveness. That must be a good teacher. And Paul is warning them, no, that's not. And we'll see what is a good teacher here in a bit. So let's pause to review scripture from three different authors. I, I think this is kind of interesting. To reveal how widespread of a problem false teaching was throughout the early church. 
we are so blessed to have the gift of the Bible. I mean, we have God's word that we can pull in other examples and just hear what's going on in the early church. It's amazing. So now we have kind of a complete look, at least partial complete, with the ones that we're going to take a look at now. First, when it comes to ignoring myths, endless genealogies, which I learned a little something there, which I hope helps you in a minute, promoting speculations. Second Corinthians, written by who? Paul. So here's Paul bringing up other examples of false teaching. Second Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Warning at Corinth. Hey, there's some false teaching all believers and our leaders need to be on guard. Here's one more in Colossians 2.8. Who wrote that? Paul. We're at Paul still. If you never know who wrote a book in the New Testament, just say Paul. You'll be right a lot of the times. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul's having to address other churches on this idea of false teaching. We cannot tolerate it. But let's see if any of the other apostles dealt with it. Second Peter, who wrote that? Paul. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, I think we'll take Peter with that one, okay? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresy, even denying the master who brought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. Notice the word says, many will follow. That's why we can't tolerate false teaching. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Uh, their condemnation for long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. False teaching is destructive. Peter knew that. First John. Okay, who wrote that? Yeah. Are you going to say Paul? Okay. No, we'll let John write this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Wow. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not are going to be going out like they are today. Back in those days. They had it all over the place. And it was harming new believers in particular or weak long-term believers. Because, you know, I like to think I've got my act together. Then I go to the Word and I always, I always find another thing I don't have my act together on. Constantly learning. These false teachers were grabbing at those who are weak at a weak time taking them away from truth. Paul uses the word miss because these false teachers were not teaching the Lord's word. But they were spouting dreams and mere poison to those who heard them. Poison. 
John 6, 63 says the following. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, and that's what true teaching brings us. Spirit and life. Their hearers must be scolded not to be impressed or carried away with words like glory and God, which these false teachers would use freely when they're used out of their original intent or context. Understanding the definition of a teacher's words is very important. There are many cults in this world that can fool you because they use the same words we use. Yet their teaching is night and day from truth. False teachers' folly and their treacherous words for their listeners leads to the trap of always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. That's out of 2 Timothy 3.7, for those of you that we heard during the second Timothy study that we had. Never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That should, if anything else, that should scare us into church. Hear good teaching. Because if we don't, we'll make up our own. We'll tickle our own ears. We need to be reminded that once abandoning chief doctrine, which includes, if you want to know what that is, truth associated with issues like God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the gospel leads to inconsistent and endless doctrines. Now, what does that mean? That means that Paul was a genius. Who did he interject? Remember, we'll go back up out of that circle. In the first and second verses, who did he interject? God the Father, God the Holy, uh, God the Son, Jesus Christ. Wow. False teachers in Ephesus, this is what they are doing, by the way, were promoting speculation that raids endless and worthless questioning of the truth producing one meaningless question or doubt after another. Just building doubt with the hearers. They're hearing what they're teaching. They're going, well, I didn't know that. And then before you know it, they're chasing all these rabbits, if you're a hunter, which you know are hard to catch, that get you off of the big truth. You and I must be at the alert that some questions are fruitful, some are not. Now, I sometimes get fruitful questions asked of me. Sometimes I get some that aren't so fruitful. And I try to be aware of what I'm being asked. Is it really going to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we just going to have meaningless discussions? We must be on guard for that. Because Satan puts into play. He was doing it then. He's doing it now. That first he wants to blind eyes. Satan likes to blind eyes. I can't quite figure out this question. I'm not sure what's going on. And then he intends to flood the minds with harmful teaching. Now, according to the Smith's Bible Dictionary, genealogies were used to verify historical timelines. This was especially important to the Jewish culture. The book of Matthew uses a genealogy of Jesus Christ that could also be titled The History of Man. Does it not? Right at the beginning, kind of. Shows the whole history of man from Adam to who? To Jesus. 
We could go into much more details on genealogies. However, it appears that Timothy was facing false teachers who were also attempting, here's what they're doing, to question history itself and lead church followers to believing that their heritage paved their road to their salvation through good works. So really what was happening, these teachers were bringing some of the teaching that had been from the Jewish tradition before Jesus' time and carrying that out and saying, here's where you get your salvation. First of all, find out in genealogy where you fall in the tribes. Make sure you know where you are. Very important. And secondly, then he goes, and we will study the Bible. We'll study the Ten Commandments. And what we'll do is we'll see what kind of works we need to do to make sure we're right before God. Oh my, I hope you all had red lights saying that's the very opposite of the gospel, and that's what was going on here. The Jewish tribes and family genealogies, as they were known back in biblical days, were discontinued. Anybody know when? That'd be a little history buff. Do you know this? You know lots of trivia. Why 78? What happened there? And you're right. Yeah, the, the, whole, the whole temple right, was destroyed. And so since then, they don't really follow it. That's why today, even the Jewish people, your Jewish friends, have a hard time trying to find, now, which tribe was I in? And some will say, I do know it because of this. But in reality, a lot of that wasn't kept for a long period of time. I knew you'd know that. Good job. So as we continue, stewardship from God by faith. Fall places a transition here, implying that responsibility is to embrace godly truth. We are to love godly truth. We are to be fanatical over godly truth. Not only, first of all, how it impacts us, but also how it impacts others. I hope and pray that people think I'm kind of a fanatic about the Bible. I, I hope so. I love it when I hear they go, oh, yeah, you're one of those. Yeah, I'm one of those. Praise God. Because truth is important. If any of you raise kids here on Father's Day, if any of you are raising kids, one of the things you always kept your ear out for was what were your kids saying and where did they get that ridiculous idea because it doesn't line up with truth. Happened all the time. This woman God gave me, gave me 11 of those kids. And so with them constantly looking, what kind of false teaching were they hearing so that we together as a team could bring God's word into their life and say, let's talk about this for a minute. What does God's word say about whatever the area they happen to be getting false truth? And that's really what is being told to Timothy here. Get those teachers out of here. Get truth soaking in your church. False teachers have no place whatsoever in church teaching. A false teacher, just so you know, and if it ever happens here, it should be removed pretty quickly. Now, there's some circumstances, maybe a warning or two is given, but false teaching can't be tolerated very long. It just can't be tolerated. Now, the solution, us, you, me, what is Paul hearing now? A believer's goal is not to entertain countless, meaningless, 
and ongoing questions that leave one unsure. We're talking truth. We can know. The Bible tells us. We can know we have eternal life. You don't have to guess. So when you hear this silly stuff that's being perpetrated throughout, in this case, their church, you can know you have eternal life. I had this trouble when I was first was a believer, and I was, I guess I was one of those fanaticals. I couldn't get enough on what the Bible teaches and what other men and women had to say about it. Read books. There's a book that came out called The Kingdom of the Colts by Walter Martin. Does anybody know that book? No. It was, without a doubt, back in those days, also shows you how old I am. But with that, The Kingdom of the Colts was a masterpiece that went through and took each one of the Colts. I'm going to name a few. Mormonism, right? Jehovah Witness, and many others. And it would point out where their teaching was off guard. And I took that book and I read it and I go back on the chapter saying I want to understand it better and I'd read it and then I get more and more and more confused. Because I was, re- you remember all this, right? Because I was reading and trying to become an expert on the cults. It's not what we're called to do. We're to be experts on the truth. Focus on the truth. Look, it's okay to occasionally read, and I still refer back to that particular book. You know, if I'm going to be talking with somebody from another cult, I might grab a nugget or two out of there, but I'm not going to become a total expert on that. I want to be the expert on the truth. And that is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Don't get the people in your church focused on non-truth. It's a waste of time, and it's confusing. And who is the master of confusion? Satan. Before long, I wrote here, I filled in my head with cultish doctrine that confused my weaker understanding of Christian beliefs. I began to go, now what do we believe again for salvation? We don't need to be there. It's not what we want to be doing. What we want to do, what true teachers do, uh, and your goal is to let Christians know how their relationship with God in this world stands. Where do we stand before a holy God? What is the answer to how we get right with this holy God and lead people quickly to that bridge? We don't have to cross all these other bridges. You ever have a non-believer all of a sudden have a thousand questions that never lead to a serious discussion about salvation? Every discussion we get to. This is what I loved about John MacArthur when he'd go on um, uh, Larry King Live. Some of you see those? Oh my, I loved it because the conversation from John always went to the gospel. I don't care what they're talking about. He had the mayor of San Francisco there. So instead of getting focused on the questions they asked him about homosexuality, he just went right to the gospel. And that's what we want to be experts at doing, gearing our conversations right back at the gospel. So you and I are to be focused on 
love. Ah, Gary's going to get mushy. No, I'm not getting mushy here. Christian love should be first and foremost. We should be known as a person of love. I like better being known as someone who's macho. Just sits better with me. Absolutely the wrong place to want to hang your reputation. We want to be known as somebody who loves God with the love that can only come from God. That God gives us the ability to do it. Because if we try to do it on our own, it won't work. As a matter of fact, if you're doing an outline, pure heart was mentioned. A pure heart loves nothing except God. Can you say that about you? I don't love anything but God. Now, before you say that, you go, wait a minute, Gary, your wife's in the audience. Better save yourself. But I can make it very clear to you, I love my wife a whole lot more ever since I've been a believer than when I was an unbeliever. Because I loved her wrongly. I loved her humanly. Just like these false teachers were taking, talking about. We, with through love, when we have love of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we have love of the truth, everything else we do has a chance of being aligned accordingly. And yes, I love my little dog. I have to throw that in for my wife. But we have an impure heart when we become attached to false teaching or anything not associated to the mercy of God. Look, this isn't hard. Knowledge-wise, keep focused on God. Keep focused on love. Let's see how it goes when you carry it out this week. And then sometimes, just sometimes, sometimes these false teachers, I like their message a little bit better than what Roman talked about this morning. I sometimes can get engrafted into the world just like what was happening here with Timothy's believers. They're getting wrapped up into the world and then all of a sudden it's a little bit harder to hear truth and embrace it fully because we also want to carry with it a little bit of the world. Or another word, we want to carry us into it. We are wonderful, wonderful idol makers of ourselves. And Paul was sitting here going, Timothy, this is serious stuff. Make sure that we are focused on, on truth. We are to reject our righteousness while having no confidence in righteousness, power, or wealth, but in the mercy of God. And there's not a man in this room who is not going to tell me it was in, driven into your head, you're a man, you're going to make something of yourself, go out and do it. The world's philosophy. Finally, truth takes us to the point of you're a man sinner. You fall short of the glory of God. You deserve going to hell. What a great story. Talk about getting people to love you. But it's true. 
And by the way, the first person we had to convince one time or another, the Lord convinced for us, was battling ourselves. The only thing is, I have a bone to pick with the Lord. He hasn't taken that all away. I still battle weekly, daily. I'm wanting to be in control. Of wanting to evaluate the world's way of thinking and then think I'm wise enough to figure it out and not be influenced by it. And Paul, when I'm reading this, and Paul, what Paul wrote here, I'm going, wow, he could have written this to me. Now, the next thing is a good conscience. should say Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you want to see God? You can see him every day, just not the way we probably define it. But sometimes, just sometimes, we can praise God for knowing truth and being able to move forward to have a good conscience. Well, that's pretty valuable. Martin Luther, one of my very favorites, but I would say I, it's a little bit of a warning. Most, and I have a lot of his work, right, David? Martin Luther, I got a lot of his stuff. I love Martin Luther, but you have to understand almost majority of what he wrote was really against the Catholic Church. I mean, he, he really took the Catholic Church head on. And being an ex-Catholic, I, I find it interesting, but I, I am careful undoctrinal stuff with Luther, although I'm amazed at how much he got right. I love this quote. The heart must first be pure and then follows a good conscience. If the heart is pure, the conscience is sincere. The conscience is sincere. Martin Luther, if you don't know, is the one who really gave the church um, a once-over on what is true salvation. Those teaching, which amaze me when I realize this, those that were teaching back in Timothy's church were taking things from, as I mentioned earlier, the Jewish traditions, and you could almost apply them to the Catholic traditions because it was a works doctrine. And it is hard to straighten out a works doctrine mindset. Very, very hard. We all still have it in one form or another. Faith then purifies the heart. Faith purifies our heart. Sincere faith establishes a good heart. It establishes a good conscience before God and man, for it teaches we must trust alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a pure heart, if he has the word of God and trust Christ alone. I'm going to tell you something about myself. I think the last two years has been amazing on how our system, the American system, and I love America. I love living here. But our system is totally fouled up. It's not going to be fixed easy. And I praise God that early on, he helped me to focus on him. I shouldn't have peace in my heart 
because America has their act together, in my opinion. It's not where you get peace from. Peace comes from our Lord. It doesn't come from Washington, D.C. And it certainly doesn't come from San Francisco. So, when we have a pure heart, it's when we have the Word of God and we trust Christ alone, then we know we can be getting close to having the right kind of faith. So in summary, God actively builds character when his people are instructed toward a sincere faith. God uses that to build our character, a good conscience and a pure heart. When this knowledge takes place, the result is love. That's biblical love. That's based in a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. And I'm going to make sure we end on time. We're doing great. Vain discussions. I'm going to ask uh, Andy for you to read 6 and 7 back in our main text. these teachers we're taking the law you're going to see in a minute taking the ten commandments you want to get right before God so I gave us the ten commandments here you go false teaching we'll talk about in a minute what the ten commandments are for these false teachers featured in first Timothy Timothy were not they weren't qualified to teach they weren't redeemed people they certainly didn't understand the proper use of the law. They may have been highly educated. As a matter of fact, probably some of them, which I found fascinating, probably were more educated than Paul. And Paul is pretty educated. That's not where you look for truth. Their false teachings reflected that they didn't respect or understand, get this, the complete work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They did not understand. The Lord Jesus is the one who took sin, irregardless of our behavior, was willing to save sorry souls like us. I promise you, I have no man reason that God would choose me. I'll guarantee you, I would not have chosen me. Plain and simple. But then we find out God does the choosing. God is the one who decides who will get it. Not on the merit. It's not like we had extra brownie points. As a matter of fact, we probably had heart of stones. You ever hear that comment? Hearts of stone. Works of sin. Focus of self. It's a good thing we don't, argue, uh, don't have to deal with any of those things anymore. Ha ha. Their teaching reflected they didn't embrace faith, love, and a good conscience. 
And wow, God gives us that. God gives us that. And remember, when we don't have faith and a good conscience, easy, look for sin. Look for sin in your life. It's not complicated, but it is kind of near impossible because we can't overcome it. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, give us proper teaching. Give us an understanding. Gives us a desire for a pure heart. This is a pretty common thing that I've said, and I think most of you have heard it. We will have perfect theology when we get to heaven. Not before then. Now, I have to say, sometimes I spend too much time in theology because I like to figure that stuff out. I like to think that I have it all together. And then before I know it, I've been reading something that was somewhat meaningless for two or three hours. Part of the reason why we're here on Sunday nights, this study disciplines me to study God's word in a different way. Number one, realizing where I fall short. Number two, realizing God will take care of it. So, these false ideas, these false principles made up and taught with fake authority. Oh, we have to be careful about that. We like people with confidence, but they may not be correct. Just because someone says they establish their teaching on Scripture and the Word of God does not make it truth without careful evaluation. You think you see false teaching? Dive into the Word. You think you see false teaching? Ask somebody else in the church what they think. Not that you're going around going, oops, so-and-so over there, you know what they're doing. No, keep that other person's name out of it. Just say, what do you believe about this particular teaching? We're here to encourage each other. Wallowing in poor and undisciplined interpretation is dangerous for both the teacher and the hearer, and that's what was going on. Now, Andy, the last part, verse Timothy 8 through 11. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers or sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers. At first, I was going to spend 90% of tonight on that list of sins. That, to me, when I first read it, I went, that's where I need to really focus. And then I got that circle thing, and I thought, yeah, that makes more sense. And you know what? I don't think you and I need to study much on homosexuality. We know what it is. 
We know what a man is, we know what a woman is, even if the world doesn't. We don't need to study sin. We're already majored in that our whole life. Paul didn't list it here so that we'd become experts there. Paul's reminding us, you are helpless without truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The law is great when it's used correctly, but again, they taught that you could overcome your sin. You could overcome your shortness before God. Martin Luther, one more time, in the same context, said it was right when he wrote, the law then is very sacred, very fine, but it does not justify. The law cannot justify. It frightens, it accuses, but it does not justify and it does not free one from death. The law no longer condemns anyone except unbelievers. And that's where we should take our love and that's where we should be evangelizing because the law is going to bury them. But they're going to look for it to be right, saying, I'm a good person. Isn't that where the conversation used to go? I'm not that bad of a person. You ever hear that? Well, when I hear that, you know what I think? Yes, you are, and so was I. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, without the gospel. The, the Bible is filled with amazing truth to ponder. These verses in 1 Timothy are no exception. Paul listed here specific and obvious sins, did he not, that Andy read? Those are all obvious sins. Nobody sat here and said, Gary, maybe we ought to remove one of those. He first lists sins that are dealing with our relationship with God. If you go back and look. And then the remainder are with our relationship with men. Wait a minute, Gary. That's the same pattern as what? The Ten Commandments. Oh, Paul was a genius. Knowing this is going to be read to everybody. Saying you can't go to the law to get straight. The dynamic of sin harming relationship with God and man here likely wasn't overlooked by Timothy and others in his day. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the Ten Commandments. They heard them when Paul was writing them, and they were going, yeah, we really can't rely on the law. The law only condemns, right? So clearly, we are not to celebrate sin as our culture does today. This month, celebrating sin wants us to embrace sin. Our politicians, the average person wants us to celebrate sin. It's disgusting. And you know what? There are some sins that I do want to celebrate because I'm disgusting too. I need scripture to keep me focused so that I don't get off track. Lord Jesus Christ, Pray to him for a spirit of repentance, forgiveness, and eternal direction. The law, properly understood, should drive every person to this, to believe and to repent. That's what the law is there for. That's why Ray Comfort, when he uses the Ten Commandments, it's a great place to get a conversation because the only solution is the Lord Jesus Christ.
We have obligation to be on the alert when it comes to false teachers. So to wrap up our time here, here's a list that John MacArthur recommends we consider when it comes to potential false teachers. Number one, look at the teacher's understanding of Scripture and ask if their teaching is biblically sound. Do they place extra biblical teaching on par with the Bible? If they have another book and say, we have Scripture and we've got more revelation, alarm, alarm. Do they handle accurately the word of truth? Number two, examine their goals. Do they seek love, honor, and to glorify God? Or do they pursue self-love, material wealth, or personal happiness? Boy, oh boy, I'm not going to get into it, but that's filled on TV, isn't it? God wants you happy. He wants you rich. I hope this goes click. Boy, am I old for sure. Hope you go click. <laughs> Don't tolerate it in your house. Do not tolerate false teachers and allow them to be on your TV. And don't fool yourself thinking, I'm going to learn more about what they're doing. No. Use that time more valuable what is God teaching in his word. Does their message speak a purity of heart, a good conscience, and unhypocritical faith? Number three, examine their motives. Are they humble and selfless? Or do they seek preeminence? Any teacher that seeks preeminence is not bringing glory to God. Number four, effect, uh, examine the effects of their teaching. Do their followers clearly understand the gospel of Christ? The majority of what you see on TV, they do not. Their followers do not. Because it is not given to them, Scripture is not given to them into a way of obedience. It's given them to them so that it can be twisted and become self instead of Christ. Do they define the gospel properly? Groups of leaders got together a couple years ago. These are great men of God. And they couldn't agree with what the gospel was. Oh my. Oh my. God have mercy on us. Major on belief. Major on repentance. Do they use the law properly as part of the gospel message or do they promote works righteousness? That's what was going on in Timothy's church in Ephesus. So, we trust that the Apostle Paul, Timothy, and Jesus Christ would be pleased with our interpretation this evening. But I said last week, there's always a great way to end any time we're studying. What a God and what a gospel. Praise Him. Thank you all. Thanks. I just want a little quiet in there beforehand. Okay. That, that was a dramatic pause. Well, how did we end last Sunday? I think last Sunday night you, you, you talked about the study, right? Yes, yeah.
Just, I should have told you a dramatic pause and then, okay, go. Sure that our 